Hey, the intro music's different this week. Uh, that's a track off the last demo that my band and I did uh, many years ago now. The band that I haven't practiced with in at least a year. And those were my deranged lyrics and uh, animalistic, I guess, vocals. I thought I'd play that for the heck of it. Anyway, I'm Phil Elbertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt episode. It's at 149. So... No shout-outs or corrections, mea culpas, etc. I'll just get right down to it. So it looks like I managed to find my way down yet another internet rabbit hole. And this time it had nothing to do with reptoids, the Illuminati, or ancient aliens. This time I'm talking about the strange world of atheist infighting. I think this is going to be a pretty interesting episode, but ironically, it's going to require me to talk about a couple of things that really don't interest me very much. And the first of those things is Gamergate. Now, you might be asking, why the heck are you talking about Gamergate on a show that deals with religion and philosophy, a show geared towards atheists and agnostics? Well, that brings me to the second thing I really have no interest in, and that's the ongoing war both online and off, between feminists and men's rights activists. And I bring that up because the divide between feminists and their uh, enemies or perceived enemies plays a big part in both Gamergate and the schism found in the online atheist community. And there is a certain amount of overlap, and sometimes some of the uh, same names come up. But I guess maybe I should start by clarifying my own position. So Gamergate. I actually love video games. I'm a Gen Xer. I can remember as a really little kid, my family had the now ancient Atari 2600. I remember getting the first home Nintendo system, playing the first Zelda game, etc. I went through a long string of consoles, uh, Sega Genesis, Turbo Graphics. When I hit my late teens, early 20s, I stopped playing for a while because I thought I was too old for it. That might seem strange now when gaming among adults has become the norm. Uh, around my late 20s, I started to get nostalgic and I downloaded some simple little emulators online and played some old school games. And then that led me into getting a GameCube, a PlayStation 2, Xbox, etc. And I've been gaming again ever since. I mostly like survival horror stuff like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, but I also like role-playing games and uh, whatnot. And that reminds me, a uh, listener and friend of the show, John Haas, and I were talking about video games, and he suggested that I should give The Binding of Isaac a try. So I researched it, and I liked the style, I, I really liked the story, it was very cool and very novel. And then I watched a video of the gameplay, and first I was like, oh, this is cool, it's like old school Zelda. But then you know how even if you're not sure why, sometimes something can have a kind of fingernails on a chalkboard effect on you. Well, I noticed that every time Isaac shot tears from his eyes, there was something about the sound effect that made my brain twitch, and then I could almost imagine the salty taste of the tears. Yes, I am insane. And it was like a weird OCD thing. I couldn't divert my focus from the salty, sprungy tears, and I got freaked out and decided not to get the game. Uh, my apologies, John. I appreciate the effort, but turns out I'm just too damn weird and idiosyncratic to enjoy the game. Yeah, but anyway, so I love games, but I couldn't care less about Gamergate. 
And I know that's probably a little selfish of me since ethics and journalism, whether it be gaming journalism or journalism in general, is really important. And before I lose you, in case you're not familiar with the whole Gamergate controversy, I'll try to give you a brief rundown of what it is. And to be honest, if it weren't for David Pakman's ongoing coverage of it, I may very well not have even heard of Gamergate. But it looks like it starts back in 2013 when an independent game developer named Zoe Quinn published a game called Depression Quest. I guess some people thought it had received undue attention. Then 2014, as I understand it, Quinn's ex-boyfriend, Aaron Joni, or Aaron Joni, posted an over 9,000-word essay that supposedly contained bits of personal emails and chat logs. The essay made a series of allegations against Quinn, suggesting that she basically slept around and used sex or romantic relationships with uh, gaming insiders to further her career. One specific allegation made by her ex was that she had a relationship with a journalist named Nathan Grayson at Kotaku, an online gaming magazine and used that status to garner undue praise for her game. In fairness, some accounts say this is false and Grayson never reviewed her game. Well, they were in a relationship, and the only time he supposedly did write about her was before they got together. So as you can see, it's already getting confusing and sounds something like a tawdry soap opera, which is partly why I find it so boring. But supposedly, Aaron Joni, her ex, intentionally published his quote-unquote essay on forums, etc., that were already hostile or critical of Quinn. And this, so the story goes, led to a flood of misogynistic online attacks against Quinn, including death threats. Eventually, the actor Adam Baldwin of Firefly fame uh, coined the term Gamergate, which quickly took on a life of its own and became a kind of online hashtag movement. So as I understand it, I feel kind of like an alien anthropologist looking from the outside in, trying to sort all of this out. On one side of the divide, you have pro-Gamergate people, individuals who at least on the surface claim to be fighting for ethical reforms in gaming journalism, such as ending the incestuous nepotism between developers and reviewers. But critics of the movement claim that's more about hate and misogyny than it is concern over ethics and journalism. Then on the other side of the divide, we have self-described feminists, women and sympathetic males who are trying to fight against what they see as sexism in games and gaming, and misogynistic attacks on females in the gaming industry. Another high-profile name caught up in the Gamergate controversy is Anita Sarkeesian, a feminist blogger and culture critic. She released a series of videos that focused on what she saw as sexist tropes in video games, Fittingly enough, I believe it was called Tropes vs. Women in Video Games. And I think she claims that sexism in video games goes all the way back to Zelda and Princess Peach, and that modern gaming is chock full of sexism and misogyny. And to be honest, I think it obviously depends on what games you're playing. I know there are games out there that feature women as sex objects and allow players to beat up prostitutes, etc., such as the Grand Theft Auto games, and that's just judging on hearsay and clips I've seen. I've never really been interested all that much in the Grand Theft Auto series. But on the other hand, the games that I tend to play seem to contain very little sexism. One of the first games I played when I first bought a PlayStation 2 was the Final Fantasy installment, where you play as the three female characters, Riku, Pain, and Yuna. A kind of embarrassing admission, but 
I love that game. It's an RPG, and your party, if I remember correctly, is completely female. The only thing vaguely sexist that I remember about it is that the girl showed a lot of leg, if that's even sexist. Another one of my favorite game franchises is Resident Evil, and those games usually either let you choose between a male or female character, like Chris or Jill, or Leon or Claire, etc. Or in more recent iterations, you play as a team of two, usually one female and one male. And the only thing sexist might be a slightly revealing costume every now and then. Silent Hill, another one of my favorite series, features a female protagonist, Heather Morris, in Silent Hill 3, one of the best in the series, in my opinion. And of course, there's other games with female leads, such as Tomb Raider and Mirror's Edge. And sure, Lara Croft is a sex symbol with an hourglass figure, but like Bayonetta, she's also an empowered, kick-ass heroine. So like I said, I think it definitely depends on the games you're playing. And speaking anecdotally, I don't really see a shortage of powerful heroines in modern gaming. Perhaps an overabundance of legs and cleavage, if such a thing is even possible. Sure, but still there's a lot of powerful female characters out there. But anyway, Sarkeesian has been the target of a lot of online hate, misogynistic threats. And maybe this is where atheism finally comes into play. There's a similar schism in the atheist-slash-skeptic-slash-free-thought community and Anita Sarkeesian's name and things like Gamergate are often mentioned by feminists in the uh, free thought community. And before I go any further, just let me put my cards on the table by offering my basic thoughts on the ongoing war between feminists and the men's rights movement. I actually find the whole thing incredibly tedious. I guess in a way I'm kind of a big picture person on this subject. I think we should be focusing on the fact that despite gender, creed, or skin color, we're all human, we're all members of the same species, and we should be fighting for equal rights of everyone as fellow human beings. Don't get me wrong, I think it's perfectly fine, even commendable, to have personal causes that mean a lot to you. African-American rights, women's rights, uh, men's rights, and all these groups have valid points, injustices that need to be addressed, etc., such as police violence that seems to be disproportionately targeted at uh, young men of color, or the pay disparity in the workplace between men and women, or the imbalance between how men as opposed to women are treated by the courts when it comes to things like uh, parental custody and alimony. There's lots of valid issues that need addressing. But I think the problem comes when people start to identify too heavily with a particular movement and they start looking at others as well, the other. Instead of seeing each other as human beings, they instead try to dehumanize members of the outgroup. Whites trying to reduce blacks to the N-word. Black activists referring to whites as quote-unquote devils. Feminists calling men scum. Men's rights activists viewing women as oppressors and so on. So the bickering, feuding, the name-calling, it all disgusts me. I think everyone needs to chill, take their heads out of their collective asses, and realize we're all human. Once again, I'm not saying you have to stop fighting for your cause. I mean, heck, it wasn't all that long ago that in this country, it was legal to own another person as a slave, or to deny a woman the right to vote. Uh, I'm just saying, as you fight, remember our common humanity. Was that too preachy? Anyway, all this Gamergate stuff eventually led me to some stories, as I mentioned, about a similar schism in the so-called free thought movement. I should state up front that I have an almost reflexive disdain for groups in general. 
I didn't become a non-believer because I drank someone else's Kool-Aid or because I wanted to be part of a group. I became a non-believer on my own because that's where my reason and years of wrestling with the evidence or lack thereof led me. And I think the reason why I have an aversion to groups is because I want to remain a true free thinker. I don't want to subject myself to the possibility of succumbing to groupthink. I mean, a lot of the people I greatly admire, Richard Dawkins, etc., have their own groups and there's nothing wrong with like-minded people getting together. I'm just personally a little wary, but that doesn't mean you have to be. If there's a group you dig and being a part of it makes you feel good, more power to you. But I recently read something that really disturbed me, and I had to wrestle with my conscience a bit, did I just quote the talking heads, uh, before deciding if I should even discuss it or not. The reason why I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring it up is because I didn't want to be responsible for perpetuating what may be unfounded allegations against someone I like. But here we go. So I guess the story starts way back in about 2008. A woman now revealed to be Allison Smith, I believe, a member of the free thought community, uh, claimed she had been sexually assaulted by Michael Shermer. Now, Michael Shermer, if you're not aware, is a big name in the free thought slash atheist community. He's the founder of the Skeptic Society and the editor-in-chief, I believe, of Skeptic Magazine. He's written a lot of books, given a lot of talks, and you've probably seen him on TV here and there debunking uh, pseudoscience. He also happens to be friends, or at least uh, rubs elbows, with the likes of Richard Dawkins, the late Christopher Hitchens, Lawrence Krauss, Neil deGrasse Tyson, etc. Now, I love Michael Shermer. You know how even though you've never met someone, you still kind of form a general impression of what kind of person you think they might be? Like Richard Dawkins. I, I love Richard Dawkins. I love his work. I love his writing. But I still don't know what he'd be like in person. If I went up to him and said hi, would he be a cold prick or would he shake my hand? I don't know. But Michael Shermer to me has always seemed like a nice, good-natured, self-effacing kind of guy that you could probably get along easy with. Uh, but who knows? This is all just speculation. Sometimes even seemingly nice people can be awful in person. But anyway, I, I always thought that he seemed like a good bloke, and I really dig his work and the way he promotes skepticism and critical thinking. So when I heard these sexual assault allegations, I really found them troubling and uh, according to his detractors, this episode might just be one episode in an ongoing pattern of disturbing behavior. Supposedly prominent female astronomer Pamela Gay, uh, re I recently saw her on YouTube doing a panel discussion with heavy hitters like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Lawrence Krauss, I believe, and uh, Bill Nye too, I think. But anyway, uh, she claims Michael Shermer lunged at her breasts and was stopped by prominent skeptic, I, I think it's DJ Grothy, a guy I haven't really heard of until uh, I recently started um, researching all this. It paints a very bizarre picture. I'm trying to think if I would even be quick enough to stop someone from groping someone's breasts. Did it occur in slow motion bullet time or something? Uh, and then there was another woman her name escapes me, also a member of the free thought community, but she claims that while having a conversation with Shermer, he continually rubbed himself through his pants. And if these stories are true, then he's a bit of a freak. 
Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I've read that the ama amazing Randy, who runs the uh, amazing meeting, where I believe some of these events happened, claims that Michael uh, can be a bit of a quote-unquote naughty boy and supposedly tends to drink too much at these uh, events. But the most serious allegation was the one put forth by Allison Smith. She claims that after the amazing meeting, I think it was, she was hanging out partying with Shermer and some others, and he kept plying her with alcohol while he pretended to drink, hiding his drink supposedly under the table. And I'll read some quotes in a bit because I want to make sure I get the story straight because this is very serious since we're dealing with someone's reputation. But for now, generally speaking, according to her version of events, she ended up getting trashed. And I'm not sure if they ended up at his room or hers, but they ended up having sex while she was supposedly too intoxicated to give consent. So we have this kind of he said, she said. Even though I like Michael Shermer, one thing that made his story look a little suspicious is that he supposedly changed it a few times. First, he claimed that there were a couple of strapping young dude bros who were into Allison, and they were mad that he cock-blocked them. And so, according to him, they must have then spread a false rumor that he, Michael, and Allison slept together. Then I think it changed that they, uh, to that they had slept together, but it was consensual. There were a few different iterations. But just to back up what I've already said, I'll read from a timeline of the events found on freethoughtblogs.com. And keep in mind, uh, definitely not the most unbiased source, and this is where a lot of the mud has been slung at Shermer, but they do seem to do a good job at least giving a basic breakdown of events. So here it is, uh, Free Thought Blogs, and the article is entitled, Timeline of Harassment and Sexual Assault Allegations Against Michael Shermer appropriately enough. It starts off June 19th, 2008, Allison Smith. At the amazing meeting, Allison Smith, then JREF employee through August 2010, and founder of the now defunct Skeptical Analysis of the Paranormal Society, alleges that Michael Shermer plied her with alcohol to the point of losing time and memory, then brought her to his hotel room and had non-consensual sex with her. And then there's a little snarky comment in parentheses. This is known in legal circles and to U.S. social justice warriors and feminazis as rape. And so, yeah, they're just being sarcastic there. Um, I believe the writer of the article is sympathetic to uh, Allison Smith and Free Thought Blogs is uh, fairly uh, progressive or left-leaning. Then uh, September 2008, Pamela Gay. Gay has recounted in several places without naming names a story while being introduced to Michael Shermer at Dragon Con in 2008. He made a drunken lunge at her breasts instead of shaking her hand. DJ Grothy has relayed this story a number of times to a number of people, indicating that he had intervened to stop the public groping from happening. And I'm not laughing because the idea of groping someone, you know, against their will is humorous. It's just the whole weird, absurd uh, picture it creates in my mind. And, and I'm, st I'm still serious. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to be pretty quick to stop someone from, uh, you know, groping another person, um, you know, prevent them from touching the person at all. So they kind of paint Grothy as like the hero here. But I think later on, it may have been... Re Rebecca Watson, who I'll talk about in a bit, and some other kind of atheist feminists were kind of smearing Grothy uh, 
as practically being a, a sociopath or a psychopath and being a kind of habitual liar and even threatening some kind of weird legal action against Pamela Gay, the woman he supposedly defended from uh, Shermer, if she didn't stop talking about the incident or some weird thing like that. Then May 2010, Ashley Miller. At a dinner event she attended featuring PZ Myers, Ashley encounters Michael Shermer, who allegedly spoke with her for several minutes while massaging his genitals through his jeans. Very strange. And then uh, May 23, 2012, pseudonymous commenter Miriam, I, I think it is. A comment left at Friendly Atheist names Michael Shermer is allegedly having harassed her. That's odd wording. A comment left at friend. Maybe it should be... Yeah, no, I guess that's right. A comment left at Friendly Atheist names Michael Shermer as allegedly having harassed her. And in quotes, trying to sleep with a new young woman every Tam. And Tam is the amazing meeting. And then uh, I'll jump down to August 8th, 2013. Unnamed victims via PZ Myers, Allison Smith. PZ Myers posts accounts by sources he trusts regarding allegations of Michael Shermer's witnessed and experienced predatory tactics and alleged sexual assault of women he coerced into a position where they could not legally consent. Um, August 12, 2013, PZ Myers. Michael Shermer's lawyers issue a cease and desist letter demanding that PZ remove the post containing the allegations and claiming that PZ did not hear directly from the alleged victim, as he stated, pointing out an update suggesting that Carrie Poppy, whoever that is, um, more and more names, is responsible for putting the alleged victim in contact with PZ. No word on whether PZ actually spoke to the victim directly, though, and claiming that PZ had a profit motive in blog hits. Okay. The post where PZ Myers linked the relevant PDF disappears after getting 70 comments within the span of an hour or so. So a bit about PZ Myers, and this is from Wikipedia. Paul Zachary P.Z. Myers, born March 9, 1957, is an American scientist and associate professor of biology at the University of Minnesota Morris. He is founder and co-author of the Pharyngula, Pharyngula Science Blog. <laughs> Sounds like some kind of weird vampire. Count Pharyngula. Uh, hosted on both the Science Blogs and Free Thought Blogs networks. He currently works with Zebrafish in the... Oh, I thought Zebrafish was like an online username. They're talking about an actual marine animal. He currently works with Zebrafish in the field of evolutionary developmental biology and cultivates an interest in cephalopods. Like Cthulhu? So PZ Myers, as the timeline suggests, posted allegations against Shermer from an anonymous source in even after being threatened with legal action... Uh, kept the post up. And I recently watched a video of Joe Rogan talking about this. And Rogan pointed out Meyer's hypocrisy and said that he thought he was kind of projecting at the cost of Shermer's reputation. Rogan played a very strange clip of Meyer's giving a talk. And there's a part where he does the shtick where he has people come up from the audience and he gives them these cards that are part of some game. So here's Meyer's fat, dumpy, bespectacled, bearded older guy. He invites a younger woman up on stage and jokes with her about how, depending on the card she gets, 
she may have to have sex with him. And before she gets off stage, he quickly makes some comment to her about how she should hang on to the sex card just in case, because he may want to actually have sex with her or something like that. And I like inappropriate humor, but it is kind of messed up, especially coming from someone who's supposed to be this kind of white knight anti-chauvinist figure. And I know I'm throwing hearsay concerning Shermer around too, but I'm trying to do it in a fair and objective spirit, I hope. Unlike Myers, who doesn't know what the truth is either, but still, from his own anti shermer perspective, posts anonymous allegations against the guy. Uh, but I hope they're not true. I really like Michael Shermer, and I don't want to believe that he's the Bill Cosby of the skeptic community. But who knows, we live in a messed up world where seemingly good people sometimes do messed up stuff. To me, obviously, the allegations concerning non-consensual sex or shall we just say, frankly, rape, are by far the worst. The other stuff, trying to grab someone's boobs, I mean, it sounds like he didn't actually touch her, so can we be sure he was actually trying to? Maybe he was just joking and pretending. Still inappropriate, but not end-of-the-world inappropriate. And the rubbing himself through his pants, which kind of makes me laugh, uh, even though it's not an excuse, um... I don't know, was the guy plastered and just acting like a drunken ass? Um, was the woman drunk too and they were both kidding around? Was it a crazy party atmosphere? Uh, I don't know. In fairness um, to her, it, it, it sure sounds like she didn't appreciate it very much. So maybe she was sober or, or she was just plain old offended by it. And again, I don't know what the atmosphere was. I don't know if it was some kind of rowdy after party. Sounds kind of funny, a bunch of science nerds, you know, partying hard. But supposedly that does happen uh, after the amazing meeting or, or then with some of these other events, they go back to the hotel rooms and drink. But if you're at a party and some dude's rubbing himself, uh, just walk away and talk to someone else. Unless, <laughs> unless it was some black tie affair and he was like rubbing himself over the punch bowl or something. Or if, or if he, let's say, I, I don't know exactly what happened. If he had the woman backed into a corner or someplace where she couldn't escape and he's doing this kind and he's doing these vulgar things, touching himself in front of her and won't let her go, that would be a completely different thing. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the exact context and everything else was. So another thing I guess I should talk about is the infamous elevator incident, and this doesn't have to do with uh, Shermer. It involves Rebecca Watson, a feminist, atheist blogger and podcaster, a host of Skeptic, I believe. I'll read a bit from Wikipedia about the elevator incident. At the June 2011 World Atheist Convention, on a panel that also included Richard Dawkins, Watson spoke about her experiences with sexism within the atheist movement. Among the topics in a vlog posted following her return from the trip, she described how after the talk around 4 a.m., after leaving the hotel bar, a man from the group followed her into an elevator and said, Don't take this the wrong way, but I find you very interesting, and I would like to talk more. Would you like to come to my hotel room for coffee? Watson cited various contextual reasons why this felt inappropriate and advised. Guys, don't do that. The ensuing discussion and criticism across several websites, including Reddit and the 
Ferengula blog, there it is again, became highly polarized and heated to the point of vulgar name-calling and some personal threats, including rape and death. That's pretty damn serious. The controversy increased when Richard Dawkins joined the discussion later in 2011, describing her response as an overreaction, since she had not been harmed, and then contrasting the elevator incident with the plight of women in Islamic countries. In a post titled Dare Muslima, <laughs> and Muslima is a name that Dawkins uh, made up. Now here's what Dawkins wrote. Dear Muslima, stop whining, will you? Yes, yes, I know you had your genitals mutilated with a razor blade, and yawn, don't tell me yet again. I know you aren't allowed to drive a car, and you can't leave the house without a male relative, and your husband is allowed to beat you, and you'll be stoned to death if you commit adultery. But stop whining, will you? Think of the suffering your poor American sisters have to put up with. Only this week I heard of one. She calls herself Skepchick. And do you know what happened to her? A man in a hotel elevator invited her back to his room for coffee. I am not exaggerating. He really did. He invited her back to his room for coffee. Of course she said no, and of course he didn't lay a finger on her. But even so, and you, Muslima, think and you have misogyny to complain about. For goodness sakes, grow up or at least grow a thicker skin. Signed, Richard Dawkins. And I actually think that's pretty funny, and it kind of puts things in context. But apparently Dawkins received a lot of criticism for those remarks. And uh, in response to Dawkins, uh, Watson replied with this. Richard Dawkins, therefore, will no longer be rewarded with my money, my praise, or my attention. I will no longer recommend his books to others, buy them as presents, or buy them for my own library. I will not attend his lectures or recommend that others do the same. But those of us who are humanists and feminists will find new, better voices to promote and inspire. And Dawkins will be left alone to fight the terrible injustice of standing in elevators with gum chewers. Standing in elevators with gum chewers. If you haven't already seen it, you should search out the YouTube video where she recounts her harrowing elevator encounter. There's something, um, it's hard to put into words, but something really kind of self-absorbed or obnoxious about the way... She offers her so-called words to the wise. Guys, don't do that. I think the video has thousands upon thousands of downvotes. I've never seen anything like it. It might have been like 12,000 thumbs down uh, or something like that. Actually, let me play just the clip of her saying that. Because it's really kind of off-putting. But at the same time, almost she herself paints the guy in this very kind of innocuous light like she doesn't imitate him in a way where he comes across as some kind of mouth-breathing neanderthal or um you know rabid sex maniac or anything uh she actually kind of depicts the guy as being rather polite mild-mannered but uh, i'll play it now into you guys um all of you, except for the, the one man who um, didn't really grasp, I think, what I was saying on the panel, because um, at the bar later that night, actually at four in the morning, um, we were at the hotel bar, 4 a.m. I said, you know, I've had enough guys, I'm exhausted, go into bed. Uh, so I walked to the elevator and a man got on the elevator with me and said, don't take this the wrong way, but I find you very interesting and I would like to talk more would you like to come to my hotel room for coffee? Um, just a word to the wise here, guys, uh, don't do that. 
I find you very interesting, and I would like to talk more. Sounds like a damn animal. The humanity. In fairness, I understand that it may have been an uncomfortable situation, and that she may have even felt intimidated. I mean, I've been in situations where I'm caught by myself out late at night in the city, maybe, uh, between 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning, trying to find my car, and I'm approached by some drunken dudes looking for directions or something. It's not just women. Anyone can feel vulnerable or intimidated in certain situations. But I do understand maybe because of the size differential or the fact that men are seen as being more prone to violence or sexual aggression. I totally get why a woman might feel frightened or uncomfortable when propositioned late at night. But I think where she puts herself in a bad light is when she insinuates that this is a universally bad thing. That politely asking a woman out in an elevator is some etched-in-stone taboo, and we should all know better. And maybe I'm mistaken, but I believe the guy is someone from the same convention, possibly even another panelist, uh, although I'm not sure about that. So the guy might not have been some completely unfamiliar face or figure. I think it also depends on how you do it. You know, if you're leering and invading the girl's personal space while you're asking. But if you just ask politely like a normal human being, uh, I understand it may still be awkward or off-putting um, for the other party. But I don't think it's absolutely inappropriate in general. And I was about to be nasty. Should I? Should I? Is it beneath me? But I was going to say Rebecca Watson should consider herself lucky anyone uh, is asking her out. Damn, I said it. Harsh. I usually wouldn't uh, stoop to something like that, but she <laughs> just pisses me off so bad. Um, like she's God's gift, no pun intended. And, uh, and we should all be aware of the proper way to ask her out. Uh, anyway, but she's one of those people I mentioned earlier who seems to just see everything through their ideological lenses. It's always an ongoing war against men. There's a misogynist behind every tree. And she does seem to have a bad habit of accusing other skeptics and freethinkers, atheists, etc., of being sexist or misogynistic. She used to accuse Brian Dunning of being sexist. I'm trying to think what he ever did to merit that. Maybe having female dancers in his cheesy videos, or the occasional lame hot tub joke. But otherwise, I mean, Brian Dunning's got his problems, but I don't think being sexist is necessarily one of them. And by problems, I'm referring to his legal troubles that I've uh, mentioned before on the show. But going forward, I'm probably going to refrain from mentioning that stuff, I, or going into detail about it. I really like Brian Dunning. Uh, Skeptoid's a great podcast, and it's both entertained and taught me a lot over the years. Um... And it was one of the I have good memories of discovering Skeptoid. When I first got into, you know, using iTunes and iPods uh, back in the day, Skeptoid was one of the very first uh, podcasts that I ever discovered. So I'm not going to uh, dogpile on uh, Dunning, but maybe I'll kick Richard Carrier a little. Uh, just kidding, kind of. Carrier is another person who writes a lot at freethoughtblogs.com where a lot of the atheist infighting seems to take place. And I actually like Carrier. I'm not a mythicist myself, but I don't 
rule the fairy out completely either. But I think he's a highly intelligent guy, and he does a great job arguing for mythicism. Also, he's a great lecturer and debater. Well, there was that one debate with uh, William Lane Craig that didn't go so well. Um, but I think it's why I found it so jarring when I saw how catty he and others could be online, uh, starting flame wars with other non-believers, etc. Uh, he's warred with John Loftus and Bart Ehrman, or Ehrman. If you go to the comments section of Free Thought Blogs, it's like the atheist equivalent of the Huffington Post or the Blaze. The conversation just seems to inevitably devolve into this kind of childish, uh, back and forth and one-upsmanship and uh, name-calling. But it's funny, it's something I realize more and more the older I get. Whether it's politicians, celebrities, or even public intellectuals, we put these people up on pedestals, and in the end, to quote Nietzsche, human, all too human. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. Um, you can like the show on Facebook, uh, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel, subscribe to or rate the show through iTunes, listen on Stitcher, check out the archives at podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Just look for The Week in Doubt. If you want to help out the show monetarily, uh, you can donate using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page, um, the Week in Doubt Podbean page, or you can donate monthly by going to patreon.com and becoming a uh, patron. And I think that's it. And I kind of went into new territory this week. I touched on some hot-button stuff that I usually don't get into, like gender issues and things like that. Uh, so, I hope I didn't uh, offend anyone. Uh, I, I doubt she's listening, but I probably, if, if she were to listen, I'm sure Rebecca Watson might be a little offended, but uh, she's probably used to that by now. I just checked that video out again, and it's up to 13,000 downvotes. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. But she's human too, like the rest of us, so I shouldn't be too hard on her, man. But uh, but sometimes things rub us, uh, no pun intended, that wasn't a Shermer thing, rub us the wrong way through our pants, and uh, we give in to the lesser angels of our being and, and say some stuff. Uh, but anyway, okay, it's enough about that. Until next week, thanks for listening. Black Halo, I am death I am